there, I'm Sue Alves from the blog Stories of an Unschooling Family. Welcome to my podcast. This is episode 165. And today, I have some stories from my book, Radical Unschool Love, to share with you. I have chosen some from the section all about connection. But before I get on to those stories, I have a blog post that I'd like to share first. It's called Radical Unschooling, Something Beautiful. Did you hear how I was feeling discouraged and defeated? A week or so ago, I poured my heart out in the podcast and blog post, Discouraged. I spoke about the ups and downs of book sales, success, and feedback. I also pondered this question. Should I continue sharing the unschooling message? Or maybe it's time to let go and move on. Have you ever felt upset, overwhelmed, exhausted, or discouraged, but been reluctant to tell anyone? What if people think we're complaining? We could end up feeling bad about being honest. Or maybe we haven't wanted to say anything because we expect those around us to notice there's something wrong. Surely if our family and friends loved us enough, they'd be tuned into our thoughts and feelings without us saying anything. Unfortunately, it's unrealistic to expect others to read our minds. People don't always work things out on their own, do they? Everyone gets frustrated. Just tell me what's the matter, they say. So that's what I did. I shared my discouragement. And I'm glad I did. I could have disappeared without a word and no one would have known why. A sour ending to a long blogging and podcasting career. Also. When we don't say anything, we don't give anyone a chance to help us. And people did help me. My trusty friends, new and old, rallied around. They showed me empathy. They offered suggestions. They turned discouraged into encouraged. The other day, I was thinking about something I once heard in an author interview. We write books because we have a message we want to share. Once our books are published, we tell people about them. But if our books don't quickly attract the success we hope for, we move on. We might turn our attention to another book we want to write. Or we could give up writing and do something else. But what if we stayed with our books for a while longer? If we really believe in what we've written, shouldn't we do this? We need to keep jumping up and down, our books in our hands, making lots of noise until people take notice. Because our message is important. This morning, I discovered the following five-star Amazon review of my book, Radical Unschool Love. It was written by T.M.L. I have been exploring the idea of unschooling for a few years now. We had a few unsuccessful attempts. This book gave me a feeling of peace, 
It delved deep into topics of unconditional love, trust, relationships, rules. The book really brought it all together for me. It gave me the clearest picture of what radical unschooling can be like. Sue did it in such a gentle, honest, humble manner that it really touched my heart. And some parts were funny too. I found myself laughing more than once. It is the book I needed to read, and I am very thankful for it. If you like the idea of unschooling, but still have worries about it, this might be the book for you too. Once I'd read those words, I suddenly wanted to do some more jumping up and down. I have something worth sharing. TML reminded me about that. The other day, someone sent me a message saying that they really love Radical Unschool Love. It's beautifully written. I don't tell you this because I want you to think I'm a good writer. No, words are just words. We do our best to choose the right ones and arrange them in the best way. And it helps if we do that successfully. But it's what we're writing about that is most important. I want to tell you about something important. Radical unschooling. It's something truly beautiful. Contrary to what the critics say, it's not a crazy or irresponsible way to live. It's something full of love and hope and joy. The unschooling message is important, so I'm going to continue shouting about it, and I hope you'll keep adding your voice to mine. I would like to thank TML and all my supporters for your encouraging words. Thank you for being on my team. If you haven't already read Radical Unschool Love, will you check it out? I hope you will. Yes, I think that the Radical Unschooling message is something beautiful and it is worth sharing with everybody. And that's why I'm having another go at promoting my books. My books, Curious Unschoolers and Radical Unschool Love. And then I continued on in my blog post to the section Something Extra. And I asked, would you like to hear the first few stories from Radical Unschool Love? And I said that I read them out in episode 154 of my podcast. And the stories I shared in that episode, you might remember, are Radical Unschool Love, the next installment of the unschooling story, not as wild as it sounds, unconditional love, an active approach to radical unschooling, how radical unschooling might not look radical. And then I had an extra one from a different section of the book because all those other stories are the leading stories. And the other story was, what if we have differing beliefs and opinions? I went on to say I'm not going to record an audio version of Radical Unschool Love any time soon. It's a time-consuming job. Yes, a few people have asked me about that. They said they would love to listen to an audio version. Am I going to make one? And recording some of those stories in episode 154 
was like an experiment, I guess. I wanted to give everybody a taste of my book, but also I was having a listen to the audio quality. Is my voice good enough to record my own books? And yes, I would love to do some audio versions, but for now I'm not going to do that. Instead, I'm going to share some more of my stories from probably both my books, Curious Unschoolers and Radical Unschool Love, but today I have chosen some from Radical Unschool Love. And I said I'm going to pick up where I left off in episode 154 and share the connections section. And then I listed some of those stories. I don't know if I'm going to be able to share all those stories today, but maybe I can share some today and some in the next episode of this podcast. So what do you think? Would you like to hear some more of my stories from Radical Unschool Love? Of course, you might already have my book. I hope you do. I would like to thank all the people who stopped by my blog recently and also on Instagram And I think a few people sent me some messages as well to say that they had bought my book or they were planning to buy it. And I really appreciate that support. As I said last week, the profit that I get from selling my books, I'm using to support my unschooling work. The money will pay for such things as podcast and blog hosting fees and all the equipment that I need, the software, the mic, all the other things that I need to produce a professional-sounding podcast and also a good-looking blog that's easy to use. But being able to support that work isn't the only reason that I would like to share my books with you. No, I do feel I have an important message to tell you, and I would love you to read my books, not just so that you can support me, but so that you can enjoy the books, and I'm hoping that you will get something out of them, because I hope you like them. So I guess that it is time to stop chatting and actually share the stories that I have promised. Radical Unschool Love Connection A Teenager's Thoughts Sometimes parents tell me that they're afraid to radically unschool. What if their kids choose to neglect their hygiene or refuse to eat healthy food? I told my teenage daughter Sophie about a family whose children choose not to wash and who eat a diet of junk food. Stories like these put parents off unschooling. Should they be afraid of letting kids make their own choices? Sophie couldn't understand what all the fuss is about. Kids will follow the example of their parents. Teeth cleaning and washing hair don't have to be traumatic. They're just part of life. Growing up, Sophie didn't even think about these things. Everyone did them. She did them. Aren't they things parents naturally share with their kids? They're things essential for good health. We always showered our babies and toddlers with us. They saw us cleaning our teeth and wanted brushes of their own. We shared food 
from our plates. Perhaps we sometimes worry too much about things that aren't likely to happen. Sophie thinks we should just give a good example, don't make a big fuss, and trust our kids. And trust ourselves, trust our ability to love and guide our children. Even if we don't parent perfectly, we're still doing okay. Learning right from wrong. It can be hard to let go and trust our children. How do we know that they will make the right choices? Perhaps we should keep control over them just in case because we don't want them making big mistakes. Perhaps it doesn't sound sensible letting kids do what they'd like, allowing them to choose instead of telling them what to do. And I think it wouldn't be sensible to give our kids that freedom if we aren't connected to them and don't have strong relationships. If we say to our kids, go and do whatever you want, and then step back completely, yes, they might not know the right thing to do. They might end up making the wrong choices. So we can't do that. If we did, we'd be unparenting. Children need guidance from us. But why should they listen to us? I think they will only be open to our guidance if we are connected with them. Kids must view us as the most important people in their lives, the ones they want to follow, the ones whose values and opinions they trust more than anyone else's. Yes, we must be connected with our kids. But how do we build up that connection? What is connection all about? We have to accept our kids just as they are. Love them unconditionally. Respect them by treating them as we'd like people to treat us. Take time to listen to them properly. Show them empathy instead of dismissing their feelings and telling them how they should feel. Be willing to forgive them when they make mistakes. Admit our mistakes. Ask for forgiveness when we fail. We have to show our kids that no one is perfect. But that's okay, as long as we all keep striving to do what is right. I think that connection results in an inner feeling of peace and rightness. When a child does something wrong, they will know because this inner feeling will change. It won't feel good. Maybe you've experienced this. I know I have. We feel unsettled. We're not happy with ourselves. We have to do something about it. Make amends. Get back on track. Regain our inner sense of right. This inner feeling is so very important. It will guide our kids when we're not around. It will ensure that their actions are dictated from within and not from outside. It will let them know when something is right and when something is wrong. Of course, there are times when we think our kids have done something wrong, but they haven't. Imagine a child dropping a glass of milk on the floor. Years ago, when one of my children did something like this, I'd yell, How could you be so stupid? You should have taken more care. What a waste of milk. 
You'll have to clean up all the mess. Of course, my child would cry, and I imagine she felt very bad inside. That was the point. I wanted her to feel bad, because I wanted her to remember to be more careful next time. I wanted her to be too afraid to drop another glass of milk. Of course, dropping something on the floor is an accident. We all have accidents. We all do things unintentionally. Instead of blaming my child and making her feel bad, I should have got down on the floor and helped her clean up the mess. I should have said something like, Hey, it's not a big deal. Anyone can have an accident. Perhaps I could have added that I drop things too. And regardless of the situation, it's never necessary to make a child feel bad. If she really has done something wrong, she'll be aware of it. She knows what is right and what is wrong. Developing a sense of right and wrong. My young adult son Callum and I went to town to have some mother-son time. As we sipped coffee, we chatted. I've been keeping up with an interesting discussion online about spanking children, I said. The big question is, how do you make children do what you want them to do without smacking them? Make kids do what we want them to do? There's something wrong with this question. It seems to be all about us. How do you teach kids the right thing to do and remain a gentle parent, I continued. I'm not a smacking mother. Except for that time when you were eight, smacking didn't help. I thought about that occasion when I smacked eight-year-old Callum. I can't remember what he'd done wrong, but I do remember how frustrated I'd felt. I lashed out at him, and my hand met solid boy flesh and came away stinging. Callum didn't look repentant at all. My smack hadn't made him reconsider his behaviour, and so I felt even more frustrated. Callum grinned as you remembered my futile effort to smack him. Yes, it didn't work. Why didn't smacking work? I asked. I was tougher than you. The smack hurt you more than me. It didn't convince me I needed to change my behaviour. Children are clever. If they can avoid punishment, they will continue to do what is wrong as long as they don't get found out. Maybe children have to want to behave because it's the right thing to do and not because they might get caught and then smacked or punished in some other way. So children need to develop a sense of what is right and what is wrong and want to live by those standards. Yes. But sometimes doing what is right isn't much fun at all. What makes children freely choose to do the right and necessary thing if there is no threat of punishment? Couldn't a child just say, I refuse to do that and stand his ground? He could, but if I'd done that, I'd have felt bad inside. You wouldn't have thought, hey, she can't make me do anything I don't want to do and enjoyed that powerful feeling? No, it wasn't like that. 
Do you remember when we were fighting about whose turn it was to do the dishes and you came in and said you'd do them instead of us? We didn't go off thinking, hooray, mum is going to do the dishes. We can go and play. We felt bad and all of a sudden we wanted to do the dishes ourselves. Callum thinks some more. I guess it's a bit like how I feel now I'm working and don't have to do the regular chores because I'm not always here. I thought you'd like not having to do any jobs around the house. In one way, it's good because I don't feel overloaded now that I'm working full time. But in another way, I no longer feel I belong. I get up in the morning and see the rest of the family working away together and it doesn't feel right that I've nothing to do. Belonging. Yes, maybe children need to feel they belong, that the family is a team, and they have a valued place in it. Callum agreed. When children feel loved and valued and have a role within the family, they feel right inside, and they don't just want to be part of the good things in the family. They accept they have to work too, and have to be considerate and think of others. It's all part of being a family. Children grow up expecting to do all these things. It feels normal. It's all part of being on the team. When they misbehave or don't cooperate or pull their weight, they feel they have let the team down. It doesn't feel good. We were silent for a moment, and then Callum added, That unhappy feeling has to come from within. It can't result from a mother's reaction to the situation. So a mother can't withdraw her love because of misbehaviour? No. Punishments and withdrawal of love can lead to resentment. It can spoil a relationship. You have to do what is right because it is right and not because you have to keep your mother happy. Actually, it feels even worse if you know you have done wrong and your mother still loves you. A mother has to show unconditional love? Yes. As we finished our coffees, I tried to sum up what we'd been discussing. A child needs to grow up feeling loved and part of the family. He accepts that a family means both working and having fun together. It's his safe place where he belongs and wants to be and he will do what is necessary to keep his place in the family and to feel good about himself. And when he misbehaves, he knows he has let the team down and feels bad inside. He will be unhappy until he puts things right, finished Callum. So you did learn to do what was necessary and right, even though I didn't smack you, I concluded. Callum grinned, yes, and then he added, Not that I'm always perfect. No, none of us is perfect. We know what we should do, but sometimes we fall short. Children are the same, as long as we all try and do our best. We were driving home, and I was still thinking about our conversation when I had a new idea. Unconditional love. That's how God loves us. He doesn't withdraw his love for us when we sin, does he? Maybe because we know he always loves us, regardless of our behaviour, we feel worse when we let him down. 
We don't feel right inside. Do you think it's because of that great love we want to do what is right and necessary? It could be, Callum agreed. I think back to the big question I posed at the beginning of our discussion. How can a parent best influence a child's behaviour so that he does what is right and necessary? Perhaps it all comes down to love. A child needs to feel unconditionally loved and valued. He has to feel safe. He has to feel he belongs. Somewhere to belong. Isn't that what we all need and want? Isn't that what we're all searching for? Can we be both parent and friend? I'm scrolling through my Facebook feed when I see a link to a parenting video titled something like Be a parent and not a friend to your kids. So being a curious person, I take a look. And after I've viewed the very popular video, I am again struck by how differently I think about parenting compared to the friend who shared the link and many other people. Just for a moment, I wonder, are they right? Is it not possible to be both parent and friend? Perhaps I've got it all wrong. Surely I need to do my parental duty and demand obedience from my kids. It's good for them. They need to respect me and do as I ask straight away. No questions asked. Yes, there'll be plenty of time to be friends with my kids when they've grown up. Right now, I need to be a parent. Of course, I only turn these thoughts over in my mind for a very short time. But I'm guessing a lot of parents are watching this video and seriously considering the ideas presented by the blogger. She's saying something they want to hear. Parents, take back the reins. Forget all this being friends stuff. Show some tough love. It doesn't matter if our kids protest and say such things as, I don't like you. Hey, parenting isn't a popularity contest. Take control. The battle is on and we're going to win. There was a time, years ago, when I just wanted my kids to obey me. I'd had enough of encouraging, bribing, threatening, explaining, begging, or turning everything into a game to get them to do what I thought was right. I was tired. I just wanted to shout, I'm the parent, and you're the child. Just do what I say. Is there anything wrong with doing this? If we shout loud enough, perhaps our kids will actually do what we want. Maybe it's good for them to be obedient. They'd be showing respect to us and learning self-discipline at the same time, wouldn't they? Perhaps we'd be doing our kids a favour by training them. Training them. Those words remind me of our puppy Quinn. My daughter Gemma Rose is training her. She demands obedience of the dog. She says, sit, and Quinn lowers her back end, her velvet-soft, sharpe skin 
puddling around her Great Dane bottom. But do kids need the same kind of training as dogs? Instead of being obedient to our commands, surely it's better for them to choose to do what is right. And how will they ever learn to do that if we're always telling them what to do? No questions allowed. Whenever we say such things as, just do it, or I'm the parent, or I don't want to hear another word, we close down the lines of communication between our children and us. We erect a barrier. We break all connections. Why are connections so important? When we are connected with our kids, we are the most important people in their lives. They feel loved and respected. They trust us. When they need guidance, they look to us for our opinion. They come to us when they need help. And it's very likely that our connected kids will adopt our values and beliefs, the ones that we sometimes get so anxious about sharing with them. Working on our connections might take a lot more effort than saying, do it right this minute. But surely it's worth it. Don't we all want to have strong bonds with our kids? It's these bonds which allow us to be both parent and friend. Real friends accept us as we are. They don't criticize, but instead encourage and support us. They like spending time with us and sharing our interests and involving us in theirs. They cheer us on. They make life fun. They listen when we need to talk and help us through the difficult times without taking over. We can open up and say anything to good friends. They respect us. They trust us. Everyone needs a good friend. If we're not willing to be friends with our kids, they'll go looking for a friend elsewhere. Someone else will take the place that should be ours. Hey, Sophie, what do you think of this? We can be friends with our kids later when they've grown up. Parents can't suddenly turn around and tell their kids that they're now ready to be their friends, says my teenage daughter. It doesn't work like that. And even if it was okay, think of all those lost years. Yes, years we could have enjoyed being friends. So can we be both parent and friend to our children? I know we can. One-on-one times. I got up early this morning. The house was quiet until our three cats and one dog saw me. Meows and pitiful whines accompanied me to the kitchen. Apparently, our animals were on the edge of starvation. It's just as well I appeared. Once I'd tossed food into each pet bowl, I filled the kettle. As I waited for the water to boil, I heard a sound. Was my daughter Sophie up? Expecting her to appear at any moment, I placed her cup next to mine and made two cups of tea. 
I then carried them into the family room, where I curled up on the sofa to check my mail. Sometime later, I realized that Sophie hadn't appeared. Her cup of tea was getting cold. Had I made a mistake about her being up? Was she still in bed? Two hours later. What happened to you this morning, Sophie? I was awake in the night because of my asthma, and then I slept in. I guess I was tired. Sophie and I quite often spend time together early in the morning while everyone else is still asleep. We sip tea and chat, sharing ideas, enjoying each other's company. I suppose we're having one-on-one time. Is spending time with just one child important? I think so, especially when there are lots of children in the family. It's something I've always done. And when children leave home? And what if they're married? Even then, we still have our one-on-one times. They give us opportunities to stay connected. My adult son Callum arrives in his supercharged car to take me to town to have coffee. We fly along the highway and we're chatting even before we reach the cafe. What do you think, Mum? Doesn't my engine sound good? Once we're settled at a table with our coffee in front of us, I say, How's life, Callum? What have you been doing? And soon my son is sharing the latest instalment in his story of hopes and dreams. I missed chatting with Sophie this morning, but I can always talk with her while we walk the dog this afternoon. That's another good one-on-one time of day. As Nora charges along the bush tracks, her sniffy nose parallel to the ground, my 14-year-old daughter shares all her latest ideas. And I listen adding a comment here and there. We'll need our umbrellas for today's walk. It's raining again. I don't suppose Nora will want to go out in the wet. But once she's trotting along a muddy track and jumping over puddles, sniffing the delicious, earthy, damp air, she'll forget she wanted to stay at home. Sophie and I won't even notice the rain. We'll be too busy talking. There's always so much to say. And that's all the stories in the connection section of Radical Unschool Love. I did have time to read them all, after all. So the next section in my book is called Rules. And it starts off with a very short story called Rules Were Made to Be Broken. And I might share those stories with you another time. If you would like to hear more of my stories from my books, Curious Unschoolers and Radical Unschool Love, please stop by my blog, Stories of an Unschooling Family, or stop by Instagram and let me know. I do appreciate everybody's feedback Instead of just doing things and hoping people are enjoying them, it would be nice to actually hear that you like what I'm doing. Instagram. If you are a regular listener of this podcast, you might have heard me say a few times that I'm leaving Instagram. I'm going to delete my account. 
So what am I doing talking about Instagram? Well, perhaps I should uh, share something that I put on my blog recently. It's an unschoolgram post. Unschoolgram? What's unschoolgram? Well, unschoolgram is my version of Instagram, but it's just on my blog. I post a photo and then write a short story or share some ideas or thoughts and maybe add some links. Yes, just like Instagram, except it's a little bit better. You might know that if you are a reader of Unschoolgram. Now, I wrote this Unschoolgram post on the 21st of November 2019. And the title of it is, Should I be willing to do what is needed? And it goes like this. Did you hear how I returned to Instagram despite announcing I was going to delete my account? I gave in. That's where most unschoolers hang out. If I want to spread the word about my books, perhaps I need to be where the action is. Well, that's what I've been thinking. So the other day, I headed back to Instagram and I got a huge welcome. Since then, I've had some interesting conversations which I've enjoyed. It's been good. However, I'm not sure how long it will be before my enthusiasm seeps away once more. I'm just not a social media person. Does that matter? Shouldn't I be willing to do what's needed in order to help people and promote my books? To be honest, I prefer blogging to social media. This is my space. I feel comfortable here. So even though I'm posting on Instagram again, I still like to continue writing posts for Unschoolgram. I wonder if you would still like to read them. The other day I made this graphic for Instagram. I've decided to post it here as well. And the graphic is a picture of my books, Curious Unschooler and Radical Unschool Love. And there are a few words. A gentle approach to living an amazing family life. Deb Lewis. And then at the bottom it says available on Amazon. I used Adobe Spark Post to create this one. Yesterday I experimented making animations with Keynote. It's a bit more complicated than Spark Post, but there are more options. So what do you think? Social media or blogs? And what new skills have you learnt recently? By the way, the words on this graphic come from an Amazon review of Curious Unschoolers. Yes, those words. A gentle approach to living an amazing family life. They were written by Deb Lewis. And thank you, Deb, for your review on Amazon. So I guess in that post I was pondering the question... Should we just do what is needed to do the work that we feel called to do? Perhaps I should be on Instagram if that's where everybody is. And I do enjoy it in some way. It just gets overwhelming sometimes. But as a friend on Instagram said, there's nothing wrong with stepping back. When things do get too much, just take a break. It doesn't mean that I have to delete my account altogether. I'm still transferring all my Instagram posts 
to underscore Graham. Yes, I don't want Instagram to own all my work. I want a copy for myself because I don't know what's going to happen down the track. Will there always be Instagram? Will I decide after all to delete my account? And anyway, not all my blog readers are on Instagram, so a few people have stopped by and said that they do like reading my posts on Unschoolgram. So if you are on Instagram, you could check out my account. And if you do that, you'll notice something different. I have signed up for a tap bio account, which links my posts, my photos on Instagram with anywhere, with my blog, with my books on Amazon, with articles, with websites, whatever I would like to link my photos to, I can now do that because of tap bio. All I have to do is put a link in the caption to the photo and then if you would like to follow the link to wherever it goes, you need to go to my profile and tap on that one link that Instagram gives us and then a card opens up with all my photos on it, the photos that have links attached to them. You just click on the appropriate photo and before you know it, you'll be on my blog, reading my blog post or you'll be somewhere else, wherever I have linked up to so I hope that is going to be very helpful to people who do follow me on Instagram because it can be a lot of work finding all the things that I'm chatting about because Instagram, as I said, only allows us one link. But Tap Bio opens up the possibilities. So if you're a blogger or a podcaster or if you have your own business, if you would like to send people to particular places on the internet, Perhaps you also could use Tap Bio. So I think that's all I would like to share with you today in this episode, episode 165. Please feel welcome to hop over to my blog, Stories of an Unschooling Family. Have a look at Unschoolgram and all my latest blog posts. Also my archive. I have hundreds of posts in my archive and they are very easy to find because I've arranged them on pages that look very much like Pinterest. All you need to do is choose an appropriate subject from my menu bar at the top of my blog and yes, these pages will open and you can scroll through looking for anything that you think might be helpful or interesting to read. If you like my stories from Radical Unschool Love, please go over to Amazon and take a look at my books. Curious Unschoolers is the first book and Radical Unschool Love is the second part of the unschooling story. Do you need to read the books in order? Jen stopped by my blog the other day and asked me that question. And the answer is no, you can read the books in any order that you like, but that's the order that I wrote them in, and I think my thoughts do progress from book one to book two, but I've heard that people have read the books in the reverse order, and the stories still make sense. If you would like to add your voice to mine, as far as sharing the unschooling message goes, Please share this podcast with anyone that you think might enjoy it. 
I would love some more reviews on Amazon and maybe some reviews of this podcast if you have the time to write them. I appreciate every single review that I get. So thank you for listening to this episode. And until next time, don't forget to trust, respect, and love unconditionally.